Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Wouldn't it be cool if there was a Netflix for finance? Well, there is. It's called Real Vision, and it gives you unprecedented access to some of the most respected names in finance. Watch interviews with legends like Kyle Bass, Jeff Gunlock, Stanley Drunkenmiller, and many, many more. If you want to be part of the Real Vision revolution, visit realvision.com slash WSO. Hi, everyone. I'm Alex Grodnick. Thanks for tuning in to the Wall Street Oasis podcast today. We're talking with Brian Bursick, who's the co-founder and CEO of Wonder Capital, which is a pretty cool company that allows individuals to invest in solar projects. Quickly, before Brian tells us his story, I want to tell you to take a look at the prep courses on wallstreetoasis.com. They have everything you'll need to start your career on Wall Street or in consulting at Bain, like what Brian did. Check them out and say podcast is where you heard about them. Okay, that's it from me. Brian Bursick of Wonder Capital, co-founder and CEO. Thanks for being with us today. Yeah, you've got a cool background. You started off in consulting, but now you're a CEO of a solar-powered company. Let's get into the nitty-gritty of how you got to where you are. Yes. Yeah, so uh, as you mentioned, right out of school, um, I went to Williams College. Uh, I joined Bain & Company in their New York office and um, just found that the, the big company dynamic wasn't for me. And this was 2007, so the startup scene in New York um, was really burgeoning and uh, starting to, I think, you know, what has now been a full transition to uh, New York is kind of the East Coast hub of startup activity that was kind of kicking off and joined a former Bain um, gentleman through a manager that I was working for uh, as a um, associated venture capital firm um, where we led Series A investments into early stage software companies and being in New York, um, we did a lot of financial technology investing. So uh, my background is relates to what we do at Wonder, which we're an alternative commercial lender focused on solar, um, has mainly to do with these four years I spent uh, in the early stage um, software world, investing into financial technology companies, a lot of whom were solving lending problems with software. That was kind of a hot space at the time from 2007 to 2011. Um, and uh, after four years of hearing other people's um, passionate um, you know, pitches and visions for changing the world, uh, I got uh, the operator itch myself and I'm now on uh, my second software startup after having been in VC and actually my, my third overall uh, having been a co-founder. That's super interesting, Brian. So I want to get into the, like how you did that. So you're at Bain, obviously a great place to start your career. And what are you thinking? Are you thinking like I'm going to be here for a long time, or like as you said, you know, big companies maybe not right for me? But how do you think about leaving a company like that to do something you know way more risky? Yeah, I have a personal philosophy that has um, worked well for me around um, moving between jobs, which is. Um, I either want to be 
um, using a very similar skill set um, in a new market, or I want to be in a market I know really well and building a new skill set. And um, when I think about you know moving from Bain or someplace like it to another industry or um, you know a you know different type of organizational structure, you know maybe someone wants to go into government or nonprofits. Um, I wanted to find a place where I could come in and the things I learned at Bain added a lot of value, even though I didn't know that market. So I kind of leveraged the you know, core skills that I learned uh, at Bain to add value to that venture capital firm through diligence and through you know, internal processes and management and modeling of you know, a company's financials in ways that were flexible, et cetera, et cetera, without really knowing anything about startups. And then having gotten, you know, over four years, a great set of experiences and network and understanding of startups, I felt comfortable changing my skill set, my role inside of that industry from investor to operator. Um, Whereas, you know, by contrast, had I jumped directly from Bain to being a startup operator, I'm not sure what I could have leveraged to add value immediately and put myself in a great place to learn a lot because I have something I can lean on and know well and something where I have to stretch and grow. And so um, if I were back in, you know, those shoes and, and could talk to my 24-year-old self, I think I would um, encourage myself to find a place that was an exciting market for me to go explore and understand and get deeper on while using the skills that I have today to make sure when I show up on day one, I can actually be a successful part of the team. Right. And that makes sense, that well-laid-out career transition plan that you kind of embarked on was it was it always clear to you when you were doing that in the the beginning or is that something that you got you know in hindsight like 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 most explanations of this type totally post hoc and uh and and rationalized after some some not particularly well directed behavior at the start i think i i just got lucky in that um you know the types of roles that i kind of was attractive for roles that were using my bane skill set but uh, it's taken me a while to put that all together. So no, absolutely not as well planned as it sounds uh, post hoc. Okay. So you're at this VC fund. You're there for a few years. You then switch over to become executive in residence where you're actively looking to go take an operating role. You do that and you land at an ad tech company. And then what happens? We were uh, in the process of raising a, a very large round, uh, a big Series B, and it became obvious that um, instead of being the kind of um, pretty classic founder salesperson role that I really enjoy, where I was actually out closing all of those deals and um, was basically chief revenue officer, that I was going to be managing as we grew a probably multi-city 10 and as we grew 25-person sales team. And um, A, that's not really my skill set. And B, it's not something I'm super passionate about. So um, frankly, that company just grew quickly enough that I um, kind of scaled myself out of, out of my role. And, um, you know, frankly, it was also a time when I was doing a lot of thinking about, you know, what kind of company I'd want to build over a decade and uh, be really proud to spend, um, you know, a, a good chunk of my working life on. And um, that ended up leading to solar and to getting Wonder off the ground. Interesting. So you leave this company with the idea of Wonder already kind of starting to formalize in your head or you left it with really no plan at all? Um, so it's, uh, it's interesting um, in that. It's actually some productive outcome from basically a complaining session between uh, a bunch of people. But it was actually my my co-founders and I, both of whom were in the advertising technology space when we were 
doing this kvetching. Um, but we were, you know, hanging out good friends for six years at the time, a decade now, um, hanging out in a Google hangout, basically complaining about how we were working so hard and getting these companies off the ground is, you know, difficult and straining and you sacrifice so much. And, you know, how much did we really care if the analytics was good or they did some targeted marketing spend and like how, how much was the world really, um, you know, changing or would be different if we weren't, you know, doing those things, right. If we just disappeared tomorrow. And so, um, it really came from us, you know, um, at some deeper level, obviously driving that conversation, I think wanting a problem that when we look back and like I said, spent a decade or more building a company or solving a space and getting smart about it and leaning into it, that it was something that mattered to us, um, that we found rewarding and defensible. And we'd be proud to tell our kids and grandkids about um, so that was the kind of seed crystal, if you will, that ended up leading to, uh, looking into actually a couple different markets and ultimately just getting really, really excited about what was happening in solar. And also I think, you know, an underpenetrated opportunity just broadly for software, um, entrepreneurs in solar, but particularly in a space that, um, I had, I had a background in, which was, um, you know, bringing technology to lending. So, Kind of lined up really well with you know a combination of practically what we were good at and new and um something that you know like i say on the on the tough days of getting a company off the ground you, you can wake up and be really excited and proud of and kind of pulls you through yeah that makes a lot of sense i mean getting having passion for what you're working in something that's going to change the world i think everyone who listens to this podcast that's what they at the end of the day would love to be doing so who are your co-founders how'd you meet these guys and uh what were their skill sets yeah. So I met them when I was at um, Village Ventures, the VC fund we were discussing, because I had an open office hour on um, a lot of Fridays. And uh, using a tool that a friend of mine in the New York startup world had built that allowed you to put up your office hours and people could book it and um, you could do different increments, you know, 15 minute coffees or 30 minute coffees um, and coordinate that all really beautifully. It was called O Hours, a guy named Nate. Um, but anyway, they came in and pitched me something that they were working on as a side project. Um, they were both repeat entrepreneurs. Um, Dave, our CTO, is a full stack web developer, has worked at a bunch of different VC-backed companies is, um, in New York, like Bug Labs, which is backed by Union Square, and Newton, which is a big education tech company. Um, and Sam is a really talented kind of product designer and, and UX mind um, who's worked at a bunch of different places. Um, and they had been working on something on the side that they thought was pretty cool and they wanted to come in and pitch me on it. So I didn't end up liking it as a business, but I thought what they had built, given how much time they'd put in, was incredible. And I thought they were really interesting guys. And we just started getting together at New York startup events or just separately. And so um, basically we started being startup friends. Um, so that was how I got to know Dave and Sam and what put us onto a Google hangout to start complaining about <laughs> working in the advertising and marketing world, um, about six months before wonder got launched. I'm friends. Now you have this, they're the tech guys. You're the kind of the business guy. They say, let's team up and let's attack a huge problem. And this solar idea kind of came to which one of you? Yeah. So, um, Dave, had definitely gotten religion about how exciting the penetration of solar. And, you know, we certainly believe um, evolution of the entire electricity market uh, by solar. He'd gotten religion on that about 12 months before the rest of us. And it actually left 
um, a, his startup to join the Department of Energy's top national lab at Lawrence Berkeley. So Dave was already very, very excited about what was happening in the solar space. And one of the things that he had learned that is well known in the solar industry, but not so well outside of it, is that although residential solar has absolutely exploded the last five years, as has utility scale solar, huge systems out in the desert, there has not been a commiserate explosion in commercial. It's been more like a very nice, steady growth. Um, but given that the prices have fallen in about half in the last five years in the solar industry, driving that growth, commercial is well behind what you see in other spaces. And it's identified as one of the biggest problems uh, to be solved in the industry. And the more that we looked at that, the more two things were clear. One, there were a lot of interesting things that software could do in this space that didn't seem to be um, kind of being brought to bear. A lot of things in commercial that weren't getting done because the deals were, quote unquote, too hard to do or too complex, where just building around some edge cases well and automating a bunch of the process in ways we'd seen in other industries seemed um, really achievable and oddly, again, underpenetrated by fellow software engineers. Um, so it felt like there was a real need. And the other piece is that most of the industry attributes the delta between residential's, you know, explosive growth and commercial's, you know, good growth. Um, the fact that in residential, you have these incredibly turnkey financing offers that are facilitated by FICO scores. Uh, a salesperson can come to your home with an iPad, get a few pieces of information and literally have a quote for you on site um, in the moment. And commercial has always been a lot more difficult to have any kind of turnkey process of that of that nature with because it just commercial entities are harder to underwrite. And most of them don't have a credit score uh, that someone's going to rely on without doing a bunch of their own work. So we decided to go um, address that problem head on and basically try to make the commercial market turn as easily as FICO based financing uh, does by automating a lot of those steps, making a lot faster, a lot more quantitative and um, arming our partners. We've got more than 160 partners in 20 states, basically arming them with financing offers that are just as good in commercial as they have available in residential. So these 160 partners, these are the ones that are out there doing solar projects. Yeah, absolutely right. This is your local solar installer developer that's out pitching both probably homeowners and building owners, commercial building owners, hospital schools who we service, um, and looking for a financing package because there aren't a lot of cash purchases in this industry. It's a pretty big purchase. It generates savings over time you can use to pay for the financing costs. So in most cases, they're looking to, when they're sitting down with someone who might buy from them a solar project, they want to put a financing offer next to it. Right. So Brian, we walk us through like what, what this looks like. So one, one of these guys goes to a hospital and says, let's install solar panels on your roofs here. It's going to save you X. The payback period is Y and we're going to finance it with Z. Yeah. So one of the beautiful things about the fact that the solar system generates a lot of electricity savings is you don't even have to get into that payback period conversation when you have financing, because you can walk in and say, Hey, what's your utility bill today? We're going to have you paying less than you're paying the utility because you're going to save 80% of what you're paying today um, on your power bill. And the financing costs will only be, you know, um, you know, 80% 80 of that of that savings. Right. So if you're saving uh, if you were paying ten thousand dollars a month for electricity and the solar system can um, generate eight thousand dollars a month in power. Uh, so you're 
utility bill drops from 10 grand to two grand, then we're going to try to bring you a financing package in the $6,000 range where your total savings, including financing is as high as 20%. So um, that's the pitch. And with financing, as you can see, that's a really easy conversation to have. Um, when you're talking about our average systems, about half a million dollars, uh, a borrower request, you're talking about putting down half a million dollars, in some cases having to wait five, six, seven years of a 25-year system's life, but still five, six, seven years until you're fully paid back and starting to, you know, um, you know, realize savings. That's a that's a much tougher sale. Absolutely. So, I mean, this sounds too compelling to be true. Is 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 demand unlimited for this right now? There has been, when you can pair it with financing, fairly explosive growth, as I was describing. So on the residential side, we've seen, just to put numbers on it, more than 5x growth in the U.S. solar market in terms of the amount of capacity installed per year in the last five years. So, you know, very, very explosive growth on the residential side for the, the reasons you say that economically, if you can package these things the right way and your power is expensive enough, there's some places where solar doesn't yet make economic sense that you can't deliver these kinds of packages, but where you can, the, the growth has been incredible. Um, you know, as we said in the commercial space, the big issue has been that these financing offers haven't been uh, always there to be packaged. And that's why we jumped into the space four years ago. And we're now the biggest uh, commercial lender in uh, the market. Right. And it's kind of, I mean, I, I totally see the opportunity, but the way that you're attacking it is somewhat non-traditional instead of just raising money and doing these financing yourself, you're saying we're going to be kind of the go-between between accredited investors and the, the, the companies putting together these projects. How'd you, why'd you think to do it like that? Yeah, it really goes back to how we define our problem space that we're attacking as a company, which is we want, as I said, to see commercial solar grow as quickly as residential which commercial entities consume about the same amount of power in this country as homes. So it's a really impactful piece of how we can bend the carbon curve down. And if you're going to do that, you simply are going to need billions of dollars a year to bring to these financing packages across the country. And so if you're you know, trying to facilitate as quickly as possible billions of dollars a year into a space, I think you're much better served trying to be the conduit or the origination platform for any capital that wants to get to these projects, that wants to get to this market and this sector, as opposed to trying to take more of the cut by yourself raising funds directly, that you're just simply not going to scale as much as servicing the entire capital market, right? So um, it's really just us needing to bring billions of dollars and the fastest way to do that being servicing the whole market as a conduit instead of doing it directly ourselves. Yeah, I, I love it. You're doing the most amount of good possible. So where does... Where does the solar market go from here? I mean, is, is every business going to have solar panels in 15 years, 10 years, faster? I do. I think, I think every building um, of any type that it um, makes kind of structural sense. So there are certain roof types, for example. If you have a big spire, that's going to be hard to put solar on. Um, but uh, yes, if you have a, a newer building that has uh, a roof that supports it, and most do, I do think in 15 years, uh, all of those structures will have solar. It'll be the default when you're building a new space to put it up. And that simply has to do with those economics that I was referring to. This is a very straightforward pitch when it starts being about cost savings. And the cheaper solar gets, the more places you can go and make that pitch. Just to be really clear about where it is today, if 
businesses or municipalities or hospitals or schools, the folks that we service are paying about 12 cents or 13 cents all in blended costs per kilowatt hour for power. Um, we generally can offer them cost savings. And to the extent you're north of that, the cost savings can get you know more substantial. But the average commercial electricity consumer in this country pays 10 and a half cents. So solar hasn't even, despite falling 50% in cost the last five years, hasn't even gotten to the median commercial entity where you can offer those kinds of cost savings we were describing. And so what's really exciting is if we see another 50% drop, and we've been seeing this very consistent cost decrease kind of in a Moore's law or flat screen TV sort of way, very predictably for 40 years now in solar. So there's a lot of good reason to believe that we'll see another 50% price decrease in the next, let's call it five to seven years. When that happens, the places where you can deliver that cost savings package relative to what you're paying the utility goes from the places that are 12, 13 cents or more, which is not even half of the country because the median is 10 and a half, but all the way down to six cents, which is the cheapest power you're going to find at the retail level anywhere that's subsidized Texas power. Colorado actually has some cheap power of that type. Um, so basically, you go from servicing a subset of the U.S. market, a minority of states, um, to servicing literally the entirety of the market. And that's in the next five to seven years. So that's, we think, incredibly exciting and not, I think, appreciated for how transformational it will be. Yeah. Wow. Um, so how do you position Wonder? How do you position your company to do the most amount of good and make the most amount of profit in, you know, in this falling rates period? Yeah. So, you know, as the conduit for capital that is allowing people to finance these systems, um, we're not particularly impacted by falling costs. Um, you know, average loan sizes go down a little bit, but we've been growing. We grew 8x year over year uh, in the last 12 months in terms of our financing volume. So we, we can absorb a little bit of shrinking, <laughs> shrinking volume size per project. Um, but other than that, it doesn't really change our economics too much. Um, we're really focused, as I said, on being the you know, the, the platform, the conduit that can bring billions of dollars a year into this space. And right now we're actually seeing more than a billion dollars of borrower demand, but we need to scale up our capital efforts to hit that billions of dollars of actual dollars being financed. Um, so that's the role that we anticipate playing. And I think what we can do from that position, and we see other people like Mosaic and Residential Solar or Green Sky, if you look at HVAC um, or Dealer Track and Auto, there are a lot of financing providers that do a really good job of wrapping their financing into customer outreach and engagement and sale and re-engagement in a way that um, we've just been really focused and unable to do with a small, um, you know, fast-growing team. But we're really excited in the next couple of years to also start helping our partners figure out how to get out to and touch and target and onboard their um, their customers and our borrowers in a more software-enabled way. So that's the other thing we're doing less of today that I think in the next two to three years, you'll see a lot more out of uh, from us. Okay, Brian, two more questions. How can someone get involved in investing in this, in this solar asset class? Yes, yeah, so um, we do issue, uh, we have a, the biggest solar crowd finance platform in the US. Um, so we issue uh, the Reg D securities that the 2012 Jobs Act made available and a lot of crowd finance platforms use. Um, so unfortunately, that means we can only um, take investments today from accredited investors. We are working hard to change that. Um, but for any accredited investor, you can come to wondercapital.com and we've got uh, several different funds available that um, basically do what Lending Club does, put you on the um, the capital side of a, of a lending transaction and get you paid each month as those borrowers pay back, you're paid back in a 
with a projected return um, as long as they hit their proceeds. And um, although, you know, I should say that future results are, excuse me, past results are no guarantee of, of future results, um, we have yet to miss a payment. So we've actually hit every single projected um, yield number, which uh, 7.5% annually is our most popular fund right now on the platform. Um, and besides that, if you you know are curious to reach out otherwise, uh, I'm available at you know Brian at wondercapital.com or at Bursic on Twitter or uh, on LinkedIn or anywhere else you can find me. We try to make ourselves available. <laughs> cool, that's nice of you. Okay, last question, advice piece. You've had a cool career. You've really got to follow your passions and make a, a, a difference in the world and, and make money while doing it and feel like you're being really successful. So what do you tell someone, you know, who's still at Bain or trying to get to Bain or, you know, just trying to figure out their place in the world? How do you, how do you advise them? Um, you know, that thing around not changing your skills in your industry at the same time, but trying to always change one of the two. So you're stretched is, is one of my, one of my, uh, now cliche pieces of advice that I, that I would give to someone at a Bain. Um, I think another one that um, my Simple Reach co-founder and I had a little phrase around to remind ourselves of, but more broadly has to do with how we think about risk. Um, we would say when things were tight or tough at Simple Reach and felt scary, um, you can always eat mom's cooking. And it was a reference to a conversation we had about how little actual risk we were facing despite a perception that at a startup, an early stage startup, you're facing an enormous, enormous amount of risk. And the observation was simply that we were, you know, educated people with great families that would let us cross on their couch and, you know, eat mom's cooking for six months to get, you know, our feet back under us that in fact, um, what we perceived as risky was in fact, not at all was upside. And, um, I think particularly when you are at a big steady, um, you know, well-heeled firm, whatever industry you're in, it can feel really risky to, um, to explore outside of that. And there are a lot of people that stay at Bain forever and I know a bunch of them and they're great. And I'm not suggesting you should want to leave those places, but I don't think perceiving those other options as risky is why you should stay. And, um, I think that we really just have so little true risk often in our lives that, you know, these, relatively, um, unrisky professional outcomes start to feel like things we need to avoid. And, uh, we do a lot of work, um, at wonder and we did it simple reach to remind ourselves that, like I said, if we're healthy and waking up with friends every day and, uh, can go crash on someone's couch, God forbid for six months, then we're, we're going to be fine. And we're on some kind of historical relative basis, just outrageously lucky, um, uh, and we should think of everything beyond that as upside. So I found that a useful framework to make sure I'm not letting fear make my decisions, particularly, again, coming from a place that um, provides a lot of security. Yeah, that's a really nice way to think about it. And uh, I think it makes a lot of sense. Brian, this was great talking with you. Thanks so much for doing this. Thanks so much for having me, Alex. All right. Talk to you later. Thanks. Thanks for listening today. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode. We have some cool ones lined up with some early stage investors. In the meantime, please leave us a review on iTunes and tell your friends. Thank you.